0: Our second reading is from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 4 to 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. And come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The word of the Lord.
1: We know as they continue walking, why don't we just go ahead and take a moment and pray. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would please come in this time and that you would teach us. We, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. And we pray that you would please come uh, by the power of your spirit through your word. Would you teach us? Or would you teach us more about yourself? Would you teach us how to respond to who you are and what you've done? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. morning. It's great to be with you again. It's a huge privilege to be here. I was here twice in August, and it was an amazing time to visit. And I'm so glad to be able to be back here and to worship with you and to open the Bible together with you. I want you to take a second and, and think about a time in your life, maybe an experience that you've had, where you felt like you were a stranger or a foreigner in a place that was somewhere very different. And maybe you had a, a study abroad program that you were a part of one summer if you were in college. Or maybe you're from the West Coast and coming here to a place like the Washington area feels very different. I remember a couple years ago, that's the way I felt when I moved to England after seminary. I moved to Oxford uh, in 2011. And what I realized after moving there was that I had completely underestimated the differences between American and British culture. Completely. You know, I thought, same language. We look kind of the same. It'll be the same thing. That was wrong. Everything, it turned out, was different. It's not just that we drove on opposite sides of the road. You know, their sports were different. They had this weird thing called cricket, which seemed like a sorry excuse for baseball. I could not get into it. The holidays were different. I'd walk out the door, and everyone was dressed up for something that I didn't know was taking place because I just wasn't used to being there. You know, and uh, even the things that they, they ate, and they drank were different. There was no ice anywhere. I I couldn't get ice anywhere. When I went to McDonald's, you couldn't get refills. I had a friend that took an American to a pub with him when this American was visiting, and he asked for a beer. And so the bartender goes around the corner, and he comes back with this beer, and the American guy got it, and it was this hot day. um, It was an unusual hot day in England, and and he took a drink of it, and he went, oh, there's been a terrible mistake here. uh, Give me another one. And so the guy goes around, and and he... dumps it out. <laughs> the bartender comes back with another beer and gives it to him. And he, again, he, he reaches over to take a sip and goes, oh, there's been another terrible mistake. Take, uh, give me another one. Something's wrong with this one. And so the bartender t- took it and he walks around the corner and he comes back and finally he gives it and he takes another sip. Oh, what's, what's wrong? And he realized that He wasn't the one, uh, the bartender wasn't the one that was making the mistake. He was mistaken because he was expecting them to serve the beer cold, but they don't always do that in England. Often they serve, like other places in the world, they, they serve the beer at room temperature. Being a stranger in a foreign place isn't always easy. It can be very disorienting, or as my British friends would say, and I'm sure Johnny experienced this, they say disorientating. Very weird, isn't it? It can be very strange. As those days turned into weeks when I was there, and as I got more and more frustrated by how different England was than everything I knew back at home, it finally hit me. As I I thought about the people there in the city, the people that I was living with, the people that I was uh, serving, these college students at Oxford, the strangers that I was walking amongst there at at Oxford, I really had three choices about how I was going to do my life, how I was going to live life there in that place during that time. So option one, I I could completely reject the place where I was living. And I can kind of retreat, um, thanks to the help of my laptop, into my own cultural cocoon. And I could listen to, you know, American radio over the internet. And I could watch ESPN. And I could just Skype with my friends back at home and feel like I was there. But I realized, now what's the point of going to England if I'm going to do that the whole time? Option number two, I could completely accommodate to the place where I was, you know, I, I could pretend, I could try to pretend like I, I wasn't really American, but I didn't want to do that. I wasn't ashamed. I was proud to be an American, so I wasn't going to do that either. Or well, I realized there was a better option. That was option number three. I could actually choose to engage the new place where I was going to live, even if it was only temporary, even if it was only a temporary home. And I, I could ask myself how how I, even though I felt like a stranger, even though I was somewhere very different, how God might use me to serve this place, not just to critique it, not just to be cynical about it, and not just to complain, even though I had lots of them, but instead to serve it and to contribute to it. This week, we're continuing in a four-part series here at Christ Church Vienna called Place Matters. And we're, we're thinking about how God's calling you, CCV, to the, the town where you live and worship, this place of Vienna. And one of the reasons that we're, we're turning to this passage today is because the, it's a very similar thing that the Israelites were facing during their time in captivity. Like them, Christians, those of us who are here and we're followers of Jesus, we are people in exile. The, the New Testament talks about Christians as a people that are dispersed, but not just dispersed geographically, that they're living in a foreign land spiritually. It's, this place is not our ultimate home, the New Testament says. And yet it's, it's where we find ourselves. It's where we're doing life. And what's so interesting about Jeremiah's exhortation to God's people in this passage is, is that it challenges so many of the ways that we as Christians can be tempted to relate to the place where we do life, the place where we live. And what we're going to see is we're, we're not just called to... We're not called to withdraw from it, you know, just to, again, take the things that we don't like about it and complain about them or critique them. And at the same time, we're not called to fully accommodate to it either. We're not just to thoughtlessly take on the values of this place where we find ourselves. But instead, Jeremiah is going to show us a better response. And he's going to show us that the appropriate response of God's people back then and today wasn't withdrawal and it wasn't assimilation, it was engagement. that's the same for today when we look at this passage he's going to say the christian response to this place where we live isn't to retreat from it and it's not to worship it as though it's god but to seek its welfare to seek its flourishing that's what we're going to see that's what we're going to consider as we turn to jeremiah for the next few minutes And and we're going to look at it by summarizing this passage from jeremiah in a simple sentence with two parts here they are You're a people in exile to be seeking the welfare of the city. A people in exile to be seeking the welfare of the city. So first, you're a people in exile. And and, and what I want to do for just the next minute or so, just for a second, is as we look at uh, how Jeremiah starts out this letter, we want to ask ourselves, how do we know that we can apply this passage to us today? To those of us who are Christians today, how do we know that this isn't one of those situations where people just take a passage from the Old Testament and they immediately say that this applies to us when that that just might not be the case? We're going to look at that because I think it's going to become very clear that it does apply to us. And and when we see how that works, what that's going to allow us to do is to take more seriously this letter that Jeremiah Jeremiah writes to God's people. So we're going to see that in just a moment. Let's ask first, how does Jeremiah start out this letter? Notice he starts by reminding the Israelites that they're exiles. He says this, this isn't their true, their true home, but there are people that are living in a foreign place. It's as if Jeremiah says, look, if you want to understand how you're, you're supposed to relate to this place, this place that I'm calling you to settle down, you first have to remember who you are. And even though you're in Babylon, you are not Babylonian. At your, at your core, you're fundamentally the people of God. That's who you are. Don't forget that. Where do we get that? Look at verse four. If you want not mind, putting this on the screen. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You know, isn't it interesting that before Jeremiah tells them how he wants them to relate to this place where they are, he reminds them, of their true identity. And what's he say? He calls them an exiled people, doesn't he? He says they're exiles that have been sent into exile. They're people who are living in a foreign land. Now, that's something that was obvious to them. They they knew what had happened. They knew that their their ancestors had been the people of God living in uh, Jerusalem, that great city, and they'd been invaded uh, by the Babylonians as a form of God's judgment over them. And, And now they were taken back into Babylon, what the Bible describes is, is really kind of one of the most godly civilizations in the world at the time. And now as Jeremiah prepares, them to, prepares to give advice on how he wants them to live, he, he reminds them first by addressing one of the most fundamental aspects of their identity. He, he reminds them, he calls them a foreign people. He says, you're exiles. So that's how he starts the letter. Now now let's ask the question Why do we know that that we can apply this passage to us? What's the reason for that? And here's the reason. Because when the New Testament talks about Christian identity, one of the most basic statements that it makes is that we, those of us who are here that call ourselves Christians, are a people living in exiles. It calls us foreigners, and not just geographically, even though that was part of what happened in the dispersion of the early church, but in terms of our identity and that's what was going on in our New Testament uh, reading that we read earlier from 1 Peter 2. Could we pull that up? Peter says that when, when someone becomes a Christian, when someone becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a change that's taking place, a change in their identity. Look at what he says in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you would not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So something happens, a change has taken place. And then then look at what he calls them now. Look at how he addresses his people have gone through this change in verse 11. Just this first part. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And we know what he's saying there. We don't use that word sojourners very often, but the the, the Greek word there is the same word for foreigners. The the point's obvious. If you're a Christian, this place is your home but it's not your ultimate home. You're not defined primarily by this place, not primarily by its value systems, by its traditions. You have a new identity. First and foremost, as Paul the Apostle says, you're in Christ. First and foremost, you're a Christian. So yeah, in one sense, you're living here, but in another sense, you're a foreigner. You're a sojourner. That's the reason that we should be living Listening and putting our ears to Jeremiah's counsel to the Israelites here. Now, when we think about how that applies to us, here's where this gets really tricky. For some of us, it is almost impossible to to remember that fundamentally we are a people in exile. And I know when I I think about myself and and who I am, when someone asks, you know, who are you? I usually think of what I do first. I think, well, I'm a pastor. Or I might tell people, well, I grew up in Virginia Beach. That's where I'm from. Or or maybe I'll say, you know, I went to UVA. But so often, I'm prone to forget, first and foremost, I'm in Christ. And and what that means is, in regards to this place where I am, it's where I live. But ultimately, I'm a foreigner. Those other things are all true. And they're parts of who I am, but they're not my fundamental identity. They, They don't take you to the core of it. Fundamentally, I'm not my job. I'm not where I'm from. I'm not from different degrees that I have or achievements that I have. I'm not fundamentally a, a single person or for someone else, a husband or a father or a wife or a spouse. And what Peter and, and Jeremiah do is they, they call us uh, out of that. They remind us that fundamentally, we are people in exile We're God's renewed people that are called to worship him wherever we are, whether that's in a culture that might look somewhat Christian or, or very Christian or maybe in a place that doesn't look Christian at all. And so before Jeremiah is going to advise them and us how to live in this new home, he reminds them, don't forget who you are. You're foreign people. But as Jeremiah goes on, what he's going to do is he's going to then put before us and before them one of the greatest paradoxes in the Christian life. He's going to say, on one hand, uh, you're not at home. This ultimately isn't your home. But on the, other, on the other hand, you are at home. You're not at home, but you are at home. And in regards to this home, I want you to seek its good. And that takes us to our second point this morning, to be seeking the good of the city. You're, you're a foreign people called to live in this city, seeking its good. And in order to seek its good, you're first going to have to settle in. when I first moved to England, one of the hardest parts about living there was the reality that I knew I was only going to be living there for less than a year. Or so I thought at the time. And and what that meant was that it made it really hard to actually settle in somewhere. Have you ever gone somewhere and known you're only going to be there for a little amount of time? It made it hard for me to build relationships with people that I was meeting. Or I even had a suitcase that I didn't fully unpack. I just shut it and put it under my bed. Because I didn't think I was fully going to be settling in. I knew that... I was going to be out of there and not too long. But the problem that that created was that if, if I wasn't careful, what that was going to do was actually keep me from being present in the place that God had called me to for that moment. And it was going to prevent me from offering myself to him and, and allowing him to con, allowing him to use me to contribute to that place where at least for a season, he had called me, not for the rest of my life, but for a season. And what I needed for that moment was a a willingness to invest in the place where I was. Even though I was very aware from the moment I woke up, that place was very different than who I was. And that's the vision that Jeremiah is laying out before God's people in this passage. Let's look at what he says as we turn to Jeremiah Jeremiah 29 and verse 5. Ask yourself, what's he telling them to do? What sort of mentality is he calling them to? He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. So what's going on there? Jeremiah, there's, there's a sense, as he tells them to do this, of permanence, of time. And so Jeremiah doesn't say to them that he wants them to go pitch a tent. He doesn't say, look, I want you to go buy Winnebago, and I want you to park it in the driveway for the next 70 years. That's not what he says. He says, I want you to settle down. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to eat its fruits. And you know what that's going to require? Time. Seasons. Jeremiah's reminding them, look, this isn't some sort of a study abroad trip to Babylon just for eight weeks. You're going to be here for a while, no matter what these other uh, uh, prophets are telling you later on. And we're actually going to see that that makes sense when he extends uh, this sense of investment into the relationships. Look at verse 6. He basically says to them, look, get married. Have your kids get married. Don't put life on hold. I want you to increase and multiply. So let's just pause for a second and ask ourselves, what, what's the broader picture that Jeremiah is wanting to paint for us here? He says God's exiled people are called to be an invested people. They're called to be a settled people wherever they are. We're called to settle in and do life where we are. In other words, it's as if he says, look, this community where you find yourself, you're not just supposed to coexist here. Pardon me. You're not, you're not here to retreat into a cultural cocoon, but I've called you to it. And, and what happens there is this claim that Jeremiah makes, it, it pushes back against any sort of temptation that we might have as Christians to live in kind of our own bubble or our own Christian subculture. It's it's as if he says, look, if if you're living in in Arlington, settle down, get involved. You're called to Arlington. Or if you're in Falls Church, look, settle, settle in, get engaged. You're called to Falls Church. Or if you're here, get invested. Put down your roots. You're called to Vienna. Now, why does Jeremiah do that? Why does he call an exiled people to that? You know why? Because it's it's in his encouraging them to do that, that he knows they're actually going to be enabled to do this second thing that he's calling them to do. It's as if he says, look, I don't want you just to settle into this city, but as you do it, I want you to seek its good. And so the exiles are called not just to live in this community, they're called to be stakeholders in the community. They're called to have ownership over it. They're being called to that place. Where do we get that? Look at what Jeremiah tells them to do in verse seven. Again, he tells them not to put their life on hold. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord in its behalf. For in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. Jeremiah says that as exiles they're to seek the welfare of the place where God's put them. Now, that word welfare, it's not a word that we see too often in the Bible. It comes from the Hebrew word shalom. I think Johnny's talked about that here before in the last year, even this series in the last couple of weeks. It's this, this word that evokes this sense of wholeness and completeness and peace. It brings to mind the idea of flourishing. And when Jeremiah calls them to seek the shalom, of the city. He's, he's, he's calling them to an orientation to the city that goes so far beyond the relationship that a lot of us have with the place where we live. He says, look, when it comes to the place where God's put you, you're not called to be takers. You're called to be stewards of it. I don't want you to be consumers. You're to be custodians. Okay. I want you to seek its good, its wholeness, its flourishing, its shalom. But then not just that, he he calls them to a much broader and more comprehensive vision of serving their city. Did you notice what he says in seven, uh, in the second half? He says, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Jeremiah says, one of the things that God's people are called to do is to pray for the place where they do life. And it isn't interesting because if that's the case, you know what Jeremiah is suggesting there. We're to value the places where we live. Think about that. Aren't, aren't the things that we pray for the things that we value most? Most of us don't pray for trivial things. You know, we might pray that the Redskins win football this weekend, but more likely we, we pray for our friends to be healed or, or we pray for family members that we know are in need or maybe we're in a bind financially and we're asking God, will you please help? We pray about the things that matter. And what Jeremiah says is, look, when you come before the God of the universe and you ask him about the things that are most important to you, when you plead for him to be at work in in this place, in history, I want you to pray for where you live. I want you to ask for the good, for the shalom of this place. Now, if you've been at this church for a while, that's not news to you. I recognize that. That's very much a part of the DNA of Christ Church Vienna. I know it's something that you've heard Johnny speak about, and it's, it's part of the culture here. But if you haven't been here before, if you're a visitor here today, today let me tell you why this idea of, of seeking the, the, the welfare of your city is, is so radical, not just for its own times in which the Israelites were being called to do this for the Babylonians, but especially today, especially amongst people like me, someone that someone might call like a, a conservative or Bible-believing Christian. Because it's very true, isn't it, for a number of Christians, we place an unusual premium, a very high premium, an understandable premium on the salvation of individual people. And when we think about how God's at work in a city, we tend to think of his work in that city as kind of the sum total of his work and the individual lives of the people that compose that city. But if what Jeremiah is saying is true, if if God's exiled people are called to pray for their city, Then God cares not only about individuals. He cares cares about the communities that those people are a part of. Even if those communities are full of people that want nothing to do with them. He cares about the welfare of those places. He cares about it having shalom, about it being whole. He wants it to flourish. That's one reason that it's radical. But here's another reason that that idea is radical. Because it means that my relationship with God is not exclusively about me. It's not just about my spiritual growth, you know, my prayer life, my time in the Bible. And that's, that's very countercultural. You know, think about almost any Christian bookstore you go into. And when you look at most of the books that we see, they're great books. And think about the things that they, they talk about, you know, how to, how to have a... a Christ-centered marriage, how to grow, how to um, teach my kids spiritually, raise them up as strong Christian kids, how to um, spend more fruitful time in prayer. But how many times do you find books about serving our communities, how to make our communities better? You don't see many of those. But Jeremiah is calling God's exile people to something very different. He's saying, look, it's not just about you. It's about where you are This place. So settle down, get involved, get engaged. Seek the welfare of your city. Okay, so as we close, so what? So, what does this actually look like for you as a church? And, And we've just said one of the main things Jeremiah is showing us that Christians are, no matter where they're living, they're called to have a positive orientation to their community to seek it's flourishing and again I'm not going to pretend as though that's something new to you here at this church because I know that one of most one of your most important values here at Christ Church Vienna is to be a church that doesn't just worship in Vienna but that is for Vienna and that the work of Christ Church Vienna isn't just going on in here on a Sunday but it's equally going on out there every other day of the week and so it, I just wanted to encourage you. Will, will you continue to dream about what that might look like to engage Vienna in that way? Will you continue to dream about tangible ways that you can get involved here? In uh, a, a number of ways that I know maybe you're already doing, but maybe in civic organizations here or, or with your kid's sports team or at their school or maybe with the city council, maybe some sort of economic planning that's going on. Maybe there's people in this community that have great needs. Maybe there's underprivileged people I'm sure there are, maybe there's immigrant communities with specific needs that you can help. And here's what's really important about that. Not to assert yourselves triumphantly over the city, but to use power the way that Jesus used power. Not to lord it over Vienna, but to serve Vienna. What would it look like to continue to study this community, this town, and find out what are its needs and how can we respond to that? And finally, what would it look like to walk up to some kid on the street five years from now, or maybe a man or woman, and, and say, do you know anything about Christchurch Vienna? And, and to hear them say, you know, yeah, I, I know a lot about it. And I can tell you one thing. I, I do not believe with everything that, or agree with everything that they believe there. But I can show you something else. I know that if, if that church left, this city would be worse off because of it. What would that look like what would it look like to continue to be a people who don't just see this place as a place to be used or consumed but to be served because that's what god's calling us to do to seek its good let's pray father thank you so much for being gracious to us and thank you for this vision that you have for us longing to see people come to faith in you and longing to serve the place where they live. And please, would you continue to give us a vision for how we can serve you wherever we are, whether it be in Vienna, where we live now, or another place if we're from out of town, or what would that look like for us? And we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Greater things have yet to come,
0: greater things still to be done in this city.
1: Greater things have yet to come, greater things still to be done here. Greater things have yet to come, greater things still to be done in this city. Greater things have yet to come, greater things
0: still to be done here.